Hey there, thank you for listening to the Big Time Talker podcast live from our studios in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. I'm Burke Allen, our special guest today, award-winning children's author, Megan Deliberto. The show is sponsored by SpeakerMatch.com, the world's largest online virtual speakers bureau. What the heck does that mean? Well, that means if if you're a speaker, you go out and, and talk to people for a living, then you got to check out this marketplace at speakermatch.com because all the meeting planners all over the place put up their speaking gigs. And, and hey, if you're a meeting planner, maybe you're in charge of the local Kiwanis Club or the, the Rotary or the Lions Club and you need a speaker, they got a bunch of them at speakermatch.com. We appreciate their sponsorship dollars. Thank you so much. Um, hey, we have new episodes every Tuesday. We talk to interesting people all the time. So be sure to, to sign up and subscribe at Spotify, Apple, iTunes, iHeartMedia, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, here she comes, Megan Deliberto. She's an award-winning kids author. In a time when it's tough to get kids to crack open a book, she has gone into the breach to try to figure out how to make it happen. Megan, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I tease about that a little bit. But there is some truth to the fact that as an author of kids' books, you know, you're going up against uh, video games and you're going up against mobile phones and TikTok and everything else that kids are into these days. And and yet there still is a place for kids' books. Did that inform the way that you wrote or illustrated your books or did that play any, you know, a part of a, your decision-making at all? Well, absolutely. I do not illustrate. Um, I have an amazing illustrator, Shimoko Sila. I want to give him a shout out right off the bat. Perfect. I am just the wordsmith. I have a son who hates reading. He hates everything to do with it. So and, you get it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. My second book, Bruno's Best Birthday, came out in August, and he did not read it until this past weekend when we forced him to. And he's 11. <laughs> well, so your illustrator, and by the way, I, I, in the interest of full disclosure, got a chance to meet Megan briefly at a, a big award ceremony that she was at for, for this book, No Place for a Lizard. The illustrations are amazing. I mean, they are Disney-level illustrations. And that's part of what makes me want to pick that book up. Does that work for some kids, your son not included? Yeah, my son not included, but a lot of kids, the illustrations are what draw them in. And my goal is to teach them a lesson without them really realizing that they're learning. And a lot of the kids I've met, I read them the story and then I'll hear, oh, is that about our zoo? Is that, do they really live together at our zoo? And they get really excited about, the idea that maybe this is real. And then they start asking me all the crazy questions, but I, it always seems to grab them right off the bat, the illustrations. And these books are for elementary school age kids primarily. Is that right? The main target group is kindergarten through fourth grade because they are hefty picture books. There's about 2000 words in my books. So they can be a bedtime story, but they're going to take a while. For the kids that, that you just can't get to sleep. You've got a little extra wording in there. Okay. You do. Absolutely. Yes. And that's uh, that's actually how No Place for a Lizard started. When my son was five, he came home from school and he was like a little wrecking ball. He just was everywhere, very energetic. And he came home and said, I want a bearded dragon. Can we please have a bearded dragon every day? 
mom, can I have a bearded dragon? Santa, <laughs> can I have a bearded dragon? <laughs> now I have a job. We had a brand new puppy at home and I have this little Tasmanian devil that lives in my house. I'm not getting a reptile. So I would read to him every night before bed. And sometimes I would just make up stories because you can only read good night, good night construction site so many times before your brain explodes. Here, here. So I made up a story about a bearded dragon named Anthony, which is my son's name. It didn't work. He still wanted one, but that's where it came from. Just, just trying to get him to sleep, just trying to get him to, to recharge for a few hours so I could breathe. So you can get some rest. I got Yes, it. absolutely. Got it. No place for a lizard is an award-winning children's book. And it's got this bearded dragon and he searches for a new home. And then there's a, a polar bear and and just all sorts of hijinks ensue. Um, how how does one find a children's book illustrator, especially one that is that incredible? How did you get together? I guess in today's world, the internet plays a part, but there's got to be specifics on how all that happens. So I am published through a small publishing house called Rodney K Press. They're located in Minnesota. And when we were ready to start querying illustrators, we sent out just a little blurb of bearded dragon, polar bear, kind of what their characteristics were. We started with Upwork because I knew I wanted 90s Disney look. I wanted the Lion King look, the Jungle Book, that type of illustration. And I think we got like 35 submissions from different illustrators on their take of what they would look like. Shimoko actually lives in the Ivory Coast of Africa. So wow. the entire book, both books were done over Zoom. Over Zoom. So what time of the day, how much is the time difference between where you are in Chicago and the Ivory Coast? It actually works out really well. It's six hours. So I noon for me was 6 p.m. for him when he was done with his day job. And we would get together and just hammer it out. But he's phenomenal. There was so much, so much of the books I just gave him an idea and he just ran with it. So it was really collaborative in that way. It wasn't super specific. It was, Hey, here's a thought. And then he comes back with great stuff. Yeah. It was more just, you know, even no place for a lizard for the cover. I told him, I have no clue what this should look like. And so much of no place for a lizard is dialogue between the bearded dragon and the polar bear that there's, how do you illustrate that? And he was able to, come back with sketch ideas that actually made the story move along without there being crazy things happening at all times. When people ask you what No Place for a Lizard is about, what do you tell them? How do you describe it in, you know, in the old elevator pitch way? I tell them that it is ultimately a story about friendship and overcoming differences, but it's told through the eyes of a very energetic little bearded dragon named Anthony and a gentle giant polar bear. So there's there's sort of a an inclusion piece of this book that I thought was really heartwarming. So talk to me about that. In our world right now, politically, socially, everything is defined by what divides us. And kids see that even if they're not picking up on all the craziness that's happening. And yet there's there's a, such a push in schools to you know, for inclusion, inclusion classrooms to bring everyone together. And I really wanted my son and other kids to be able to just look at another person and find what they have in common. So with these two animals, I was trying to figure out what two animals 
were the most opposite and the most unlikely to be friends. And when I do school visits, I always stop halfway through the story and I ask the kids that I'm with, do you think Anthony should live with Bruno? And you would be amazed. 80% of the kids say no. And then I'll ask them, well, why not? Well, Anthony should stick with his own kind of animal. And that opens the door for the discussion of, well, if you like strawberries and your best friend doesn't, can you still be friends? Or if you grow to be six foot five and she stays five feet tall, can she's, can you still be friends? And that opens the entire discussion for them to start looking at each other in ways of, well, it really doesn't matter if she doesn't like strawberries or if she's short and I'm tall. It helps them see that what, what makes us different can also be what brings us together. Kids book author Megan Deliberto as an award winner in No Place for a Lizard. And the new book is Bruno's Best Birthday. There's also a lizard in this one. This is becoming a, a thing for you. It Becoming is. The lizard yes. lady. Anthony and Bruno are both back in the second book. Uh, this time the animals around the zoo are trying to throw Bruno a birthday party, but no one can leave their habitat. So how do you throw a party when no one can come? So I love the the thought that you threw out at the beginning of the conversation of how you try to get the kids really involved in the story first and and not realize that you're slipping in the messaging. It's like putting the medicine in the ice cream, right? Absolutely. Um, is was that difficult for you to do to to not make these books, you know, preachy? Because nobody wants to be preached to, no matter what age. I, this is going to sound horrible, but these two books were just really easy for me to write, and the stories just came out of me the way that they're written here. Um, Bruno's best birthday was a lot longer. I tend to be very wordy, so my editor has to really trim back a lot on me, but. I just knew from the word go that I wanted this to be about friendship and about overcoming these challenges. And it, it just kind of happened. I wish I had a better answer of, you know, I workshopped and I did all these things, but these two were really easy. And I feel like my, my next book is going to be incredibly hard just because these, these were easier than I feel like they should be. When you go out and and talk to kids today in elementary school, and you you have a son you mentioned who's 11, I think you said? Yes, he's Um, 11. So, you know, this is not a foreign concept to you. You you are a mom. Yes. And you're around an elementary school age kid. But are there things that have surprised you that the children have said to you as you go out and, and you read to them and you meet them in schools? There was one little girl last year who was amazed that I was a girl. She was stunned that I had brown hair and I was a girl just like her and I could do this. And I didn't really realize that that was still something that we were facing as women because there's there's thousands of women women's authors. Sure. And to her, that was surprising. The one thing that I do always find really interesting is it happens without fail because I will do junior high visits as well. And then we talk a little bit more about the editing process and things like that. It never fails. There is always a boy and he is always in an NFL jersey and he will ask me, how much money do you make? And I, (laughs) every single time, and I always tell them that I'm, I don't do this for the money and that my chances of making a million dollars being an author about the same as his 
in making the NFL. And then I'll always bring it back to him. Like, do you play football? Oh yeah, I'm a tight end or I'm a safety or I'm the quarterback, whatever he is. And I well, do you think you're going to play in the NFL? Well, maybe, maybe. Okay. And if you don't, are you going to keep going? Well, yeah, I love it. That's exactly why I'm doing it. I'm doing this because I love it. I love to visit schools, but it never fails. There's always a boy in an NFL jersey that asks about money every time. (laughs) So when you first decided you were going to write No Place for a Lizard, your first book, um, did people give you the side eye and wonder what in the world you were thinking? Or did, did you always have this hidden author buried deep down inside? You know, how did this all come out? I absolutely love that you use the term hidden author. Uh, Ever since I was a kid, I've always been a writer. I've always been a reader. I was about nine one year for Christmas. I asked for, I'm going to age myself here, an electric typewriter that had the the whiteout backspace key. Yes. Yeah. And I would write up all these little stories. And then in college, I was the editor of my collegiate newspaper. I was a staff writer. I wrote dozens of short stories and, you know, started, never finished a couple novels. But to me, writing and reading was always just a hobby. And I've been on a, I call it a quest since I was about 13 to find my hidden talent because my brother and my sister, I'm the middle child. They're both extremely athletically gifted. And I was always just stuck in the middle as like this dud sandwich. So I have tried many things over the years and failed spectacularly. And my husband has always said, you should write a book. That's your hidden talent. You should write a book. That's your hidden talent. So it was really after I wrote No Place for a Lizard and I wrote it out on like a PowerPoint with these dumb clip arts for my son, just so I could read it to him easier. And he was the one that said, I'm telling you, this is your hidden talent. You need to submit this manuscript. So when I finally told my dad and my sister they were like not surprised at all that this was something else I've, I was trying and that, you know, it, it's actually going well. And it this turns out that always, this, this yeah. might be my hidden talent. It's always been an arrow in the quiver of Megan Deliberto. No has, Place for yes. a Lizard is the book that caused you to win a Reader's Favorite Award. And I wonder when when you got word of that, what went through your mind? So I submitted thinking I didn't have a shot and I actually forgot about the award at all. And it was 5.30 in the morning. I'm doom scrolling on my phone the way you do when you're waking up. And I see that the winners are announced. So I just click on it. I'm like, "Eh, let's see. And I saw the picture and I started screaming. My husband ran out from the back of the house. I don't know what he thought was happening, but he started recording the news on TV that we were watching. (laughs) and i'm like what's going on and he's like i don't know is it something on tv what's happening right now i i was so blown away because i didn't even register in my brain that it was something that i could possibly win do you remember when you got uh, along the same lines a box of books for the first time and you cracked that box open and you saw that physical book and that artwork that looks like a 1990s Disney piece, what that feeling was like. Oh, absolutely. Uh, My husband and I had decided early on that if we were going to offset print, we were going to do it uh, American printing. So we picked a printer that was close enough we could go pick them up ourselves. 
So as soon as they were done, we got in the car, the whole family went for a five hour drive and I was able to pick them up at the print shop. It was a dream come true holding that book in my hand. It still is. Every time I go to a school, I I still can't really believe that this is my life or being in Miami. I'm amazed that this is where I'm at a year and a half later. And I, ne- I never dreamed that this would happen for me. When you were suppressing your your writing, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> what what did you do for a living? What what other job? Well, that's another weird thing. I like I said, I tried a lot of hobbies that I I failed spectacularly at. Um, I've also had a lot of weird jobs. So my degree is in business management, and uh, then I flirted with the idea of law school. I have a paralegal degree. I worked in law and then I hated that because it just wasn't for me at all. And then I worked full time for a, an orthodontic office as an assistant. That sounds like a pretty awful job. However, no offense to the orthodontic assistants listening. What was the worst job you've ever had? Hmm. Uh, well, I was a waitress in college at Giordano's Pizza, which is a Chicago pizza place. I don't know if they're nationwide at this point. They probably are. And they had eight waitresses on the floor and like two tables with customers. And the one girl said to me, oh, it's really busy. And I said, this this is busy. This is going to be the <laughs> longest night of my life. And they did. They fired me at the end of the night. Hmm. And the reason I ask that question is it doesn't really matter where you start. It's where you wind up. And where you wind up is as an award-winning children's author of No Place for a Lizard. Congratulations, Megan Diliberto. Thank you very much. You know, you could just keep saying it. You could just keep saying award-winning author. That's fine. And should, I love we, it. Put that on your driver's license the next time you get it redone. You know? <laughs> I think we should. Absolutely. On the side of my car, everywhere. <laughs> hey, if folks want to pick up these books for their kids, how do they find you? So you can find them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, pretty much anywhere books are sold, or on my website, which is Megan, M-E-G-A-N-D, as in dog, author.com. I have hard copy signed first editions on there, or again, anywhere that uh, books are sold, and I'm on all the socials. Very good. Megan Diliberto, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. In a world where differences divide us, Megan brings us together with a lizard and a polar bear. Who would have thunk it? It's the Big Time Talker podcast in Washington, D.C. I'm Burke Allen. Thank you, Speaker Match, and thank you for listening and making us part of your day. Now go out and make it a great day. Bye, everybody.